Welcome to New Life. If you're new to New Life, we're so glad that you're here. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor. And uh, if you're new and you're wondering, why, why is the pastor sitting down to preach? Maybe if you're not new and you've been around for a while, you're saying, why is he still sitting down to preach? Because he had his surgery back in April. What's going on? And the reality is uh, I'm having another surgery on my left hip uh, coming up on October the 30th. So I have a choice to make every time I come to a worship service, whether to stand uh, to praise God and then sit to preach or else to sit to praise God and stand to preach. And I decide it's more important to stand to praise God. And besides that, some of you have told me I'm less threatening when I'm sitting down than when I'm standing up. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Welcome. And we're in the last message of a series that's been going on since Easter, April 8th and 9th. We open up our Mountain Monologue series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to hear Jesus' final, I guess you could say his final warning, his final challenge, his final encouragement to the people who were on that mountain that day so long ago, had been listening for quite a while as he shared his heart about what it means to follow him, to be someone who is actually like God in our everyday lives, and now he's been telling us, and we've made it into a bunch of weeks, but for him it was just one big message, but he's telling us, what, so what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do now? And today he's going to talk about two different kinds of people, and on the surface they look the same, but underneath they're very different, and it's a difference that makes all the difference. So as we get ready to launch into this pivotal message from Jesus. Let's look at today's take-home point. Again, if you're new, the take-home point is the one point I'll be making from Scripture that we want to basically not just hear, but take out and live in our week ahead, and here it is. A secure foundation helps us stand up to anything. A secure foundation helps us stand up to anything. And when I start reading from Matthew 7, 24 to 29 today, whether you've ever been to church before or not, this is going to be familiar to you. Because you've all heard about a house built on a rock and a house built on the sand. We've all heard that account. You might not even know it came from the Bible, but it's from Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is that our foundation makes a difference. And it's true whether we're talking about houses or we're talking about the basis of our lives. So before we turn to Jesus' final words from the Sermon on the Mount, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you. Thank you so much for this opportunity now to hear from your word and really from the very mouth of Jesus how we are supposed to be and live as your people. And today I pray for your Holy Spirit to open our hearts, our minds, our lives that we will hear your truth and not only hear it, but put it into practice in love in the weeks ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your mountain monologue study guide, which you don't need anymore after today, page 55 is where we are. It's the very last um, installment, as we said. And so we're going to hear Jesus' final words from the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, everyone who ever hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the torrents came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone hearing these words of mine and does not do them will be likened to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came down and the torrents came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell and the fall of it was great. So did you notice that the people live in the same place? The reason I know that is because they had the same weather. 
If you live around here, you know that if you live like 40 yards from each other, you might not have the same weather. But so they must have been next door to each other. I picture it being one of those subdivisions, you know, where you go in and every house is exactly the same. They have the same siding, the same chimney, the same door, the same everything. I mean, if you came home late on a Saturday night drunk, you wouldn't even be able to figure out which house was yours. It's that kind of a place, right? 10.30 people laughed. Nobody else did. Okay, so uh, I thought maybe I had the right audience for that comment. So... So the only difference between the two houses in Jesus' story is what happened when the storm came. So the wise man man prepared differently before building his house. The excavators didn't just level the land and start building. No, they dug all the way down to the bedrock where the foundation would hold up to anything. In his studies on the Sermon on the Mount, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote that Jesus' point here was that the wise man is the authentic believer or follower of Jesus, while the foolish man is a nominal Christian, a believer in name only. And his point makes sense, because Jesus said the ones who heard his word and did them are wise. Those who heard them and didn't were foolish. And the pictures he painted of the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand are pictures of an authentic believer and one who wants the benefits of following Jesus without actually putting forth any effort. So over the past three weeks, We have seen how Jesus pointed out the differences between those who followed him and those who either said they did or just pursued their own happiness. So let's consider what it takes to be the wise man or the wise woman, the one who builds our house or our life in Jesus Christ on the solid rock of his firm foundation. First, it takes a lot of time to dig a foundation. Having been through the process of building a house 15 years ago, I remember the process well. Ever since I was a young adult, I wanted to build my own house. And I never had a chance. I I helped my father-in-law build a house that Nancy and I moved into when we first got married, but it was his house. And and then we lived in apartments for a while, and then finally we got to buy our own house. But it was one of those fixer-uppers, you know, the first house you buy. And we fixed it up, but it wasn't our own house that we built. And, And then we moved to Pennsylvania, and we had this house. It was a nice house, but it was too small for our family. So we added a second story to it with the help of a lot of friends. And that was like building a house, but it wasn't the same thing as building our own house. But finally, 15 years ago, I was able to build our own house. And, you know, it would have been a lot easier if I would have gone over to, you know, Cabot and just had the excavator just level out the ground and start building. It would have been even easier if we would just had somebody deliver a bunch of lumber and just start building. But that's actually not how it went. Nancy and I drew plans for the house that we wanted on graph paper, and we showed it to Dan Dan Sowers, who was our builder of record, because the bank wouldn't let me build a house on my own because I was a preacher, and they didn't think preachers knew how to build houses. So anyway, we showed him the the plan, and he told us how much that house was going to cost, so we went back and got a smaller piece of graph paper (laughs) and and, and drew a a smaller house, and, and that house was okay, so then Dan took it to a draftsman, And he had plans made that could actually be turned in to the zoning office in Winfield Township. And they looked over it and they made some corrections and suggestions. Not suggestions, like we had to change things. And and then after all of that, you know, we hired the excavator and we hired the person who was going to do the precast basement. And then we hired the people that were going to do the trusses and all that. The stuff that we couldn't do. And then finally we got started. It took months of planning before the excavator ever came onto the property. And then the excavator came, and woo, one day, there was a big hole in the ground. It was awesome, like the house is going to be done in three days, right? That's what you think, but it's not that way. So anyway, after the first day, they came in with a bunch of trucks 
filled with stone. And the stone filled up the foundation. That was the solid foundation of stone. And then the next day was really cool because then came in the precast wall guys with their big crane. And in one day, we had this foundation. And then we could finally build our house. It took so long. It took months and months before we ever got to start building our house. You know, the thing is, we could have saved so much time, money, if we just leveled off the ground and started building. But here's the thing. Wise builders, whether building a house or a life, start with thinking, with planning, with preparation, and guidance from those who know more than they do. Wise builders start with a firm foundation, a solid foundation. What impressed me about the building process is how Dan had thought about it all the way through from before there was a hole in the ground until the building was done. Yeah, I was going to do a lot of work myself and actually ended up about 40% with my with friends and family. We got about 40% done. So Dan had to factor that in, like what parts wasn't he going to do, what parts weren't going to be subbed out. And I learned a lot about the process. I mean, I had done some of it before, but I realized you really have to have the right people in the right place at the right time because you don't want the electrician, you know, um, working on the, the electrical work after the insulators have been there. In fact, that would be a really hard thing. You have to have the electrician first and then the insulators. Anyway, the point is, we learned a lot of stuff about timing, about process. And to use Jesus' illustration, I want you to consider something. That after all the work and the house is done, eight months later, the house is done, we move in, we get new neighbors. And it was all just property when we were out there, just a bunch of lots. And so somebody buys a lot next door to us and they come to us and say, we really like your house. Would you mind if we use your plans? And we say, no, sure, go ahead. I'm a nice guy. You can use my plan. And then they say, well, but we're going to do one thing differently. We're not going to put a foundation under it. We're just going to level the things off and build it. So if I told you we're having a party at my house, you're all invited, you would come over and you would see two houses. And they would look exactly the same. You wouldn't know which one was ours and which one was the other person's. But the reality is when the storm came, you would know the difference. That's what Jesus said. Now, I want you to hold that thought in your mind. And I want you to think about two people, two people who come to a church like New Life, and they come to worship, and at the end of the worship service, both of them are very intrigued. They, they've heard the Sermon on the Mount, and they say, wow, I would like to be able to love my enemies. I, I would like to be generous with my life. I, I would like to not have to worry. And so they decide, the two of them decide, hmm, maybe Jesus should become Lord in my life. And the first one, she, she sits down and she actually asks Jesus to become Lord in her life. And what happens is she comes back the next weekend and the next weekend and the next weekend. And she starts to ask people that are mature Christians, how do you plan your life so that you can actually become like Jesus someday? And she takes notes and she writes it all down. And then after she sees all these different ideas, she starts to read her Bible every day and study it every single day. And then she decides that she's going to join a small group. And she goes to a small group and she, um, she joins one of those ones where they talk about the message from the weekend. And then she learns how to put those into practice in her family and in her workplace and in everyday life. And she gets an accountability partner who helps her to grow in her faith in Jesus Christ. She does all of that. And she calls on the Holy Spirit to lead her life every single day. She realizes that she's not going to become a mature follower of Jesus overnight but every single day she engages in those practices that are going to help her become more and more like Jesus. The second person also sits down and tells Jesus he wants to be a Christian. And he's busy, so he doesn't have time to go to church that much. And he thinks about joining a small group, but he doesn't see how that's going to fit into his life. And he, he likes the idea of becoming a love-inspired steward. 
And, and the other lady, she had given up her time, her talent, treasure, and touch and said, it all belongs to you. But he says, you know, that's, I don't know if I can do that right now. So basically, when I come, I'll give what I have left over because God will, you know, certainly God will understand that I want to go to heaven someday. And he, he understands my heart. Jesus understands my heart. So will Jesus understand his heart? Of course he will. Because Jesus understands every person's heart. If you sat next to that woman and man in worship, um, they would look the same. On the outside, like when we're singing worship songs, they might both have their hands raised up as they sing, or they might both be having their hands down at their side. And after worship, they might go out into the gathering area, and they might talk to you about, isn't it great to be in a church that has biblical messages every week? And they might both say exactly the same thing as they engage in conversation. You and I might not notice the foundational difference between the two, but Jesus would. If you were here last week, do you remember what Jesus said to those who called out, Lord, Lord, but didn't do what he said? He said he didn't know them. In today's case, Jesus said, when the rains, the torrents, and the winds come, uh, the houses are going to be tested. The one built on rock, on the firm foundation, that one's going to stand. He said, the one that is built on sand, it's going to fall. And what did he say about the fall? It's going to be great. The fall will be great. It's easy to see Jesus' implications in this illustration, right? When we build our lives on the firm foundation of Jesus, the tests, the trials, and the temptations that come won't destroy us. Notice I didn't say we won't have tests and trials and temptations. <laughs> because we will. You know, I have loved Jesus since I was a little kid. And my hip still hurts all the time. And uh, hopefully, and I was going to say on October 30th it won't, but that day it will hurt <laughs> even more. And then about five weeks later, it'll finally feel pretty good. And then I'll be able to stand up and preach if I don't think I'm too scary. Okay, so... We are going to get beat up from time to time as we walk in the Lord, but our house will stand if the firm foundation of Jesus Christ is there. You know, here's the other thing. Jesus said, wise are the ones who hear my words and do them. He was not saying that we get saved by what we do. We aren't saved by our works. What Jesus was saying is, if you really have faith in me, there will be some evidence. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said in his letter that faith without works is not really faith at all. It's dead. Now, no one stands strong all the time. You can read through the Bible, and if you go to the Old Testament, there's King David. You know, King David, it says in the Bible, he was a man after God's own heart. And yet he sinned greatly in the case of Bathsheba. You have Peter, who was, you know, sort of fickle whenever Jesus was walking on the earth. But after the day of Pentecost, Peter was a really strong follower of Jesus. He had the spirit, the power of God. Thousands of people heard his messages and came to the Lord. But you realize that one time the apostle Paul had to correct Peter to his face and call him a hypocrite? Because he was being a hypocrite in that moment. The point is, when Jesus is our foundation, we can live faithful lives. Jesus is the basis of our ability to do good works. He did what we couldn't do. We say this here at New Life all the time. He lived a perfect life none of us could live. He died on the cross to pay the penalty that we owed. He rose from the dead to demonstrate he's the son of God. He returned to heaven and then he sent the Holy Spirit so we can be empowered to live the things that Jesus taught us to do in his name and in his power. But if we make a half-hearted commitment to follow Jesus, hoping that the we're going to have the benefits of following him with no commitment to living out the obedience that he requires. Jesus tells us we're going to fall. 
And he says the crash is going to be great. I haven't met many people who like to think about the end of this life. And I've found even less people who like to think about God's judgment. But in Matthew 7, it's all about God's judgment. Jesus talked about the wide and narrow paths, the good and bad fruit. He talked about the ones who call out, Lord, Lord, but don't do what God says. And here he talks about the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. In each case, Jesus told us which to choose. And he actually told us how to choose. Choose the narrow way. Choose to bear good fruit. Choose to, choose to actually do my will instead of just talking about it. And choose to build your house on the rock. You know, we can't wish our lives will reflect Jesus. Or we can't intend for them to reflect Jesus or engage in all the activities of the world and presume on Jesus' grace. Something I have to say about Jesus' grace. Two things, actually. Jesus' grace is amazing. And it's free, but it's not cheap. It costs Jesus everything. With every passing year of my life, I realize more and more that this life is short and eternity is going to be very long. I realize Jesus and the biblical writers give us example after example of how we must live this life to God's glory. And that's why God created us, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. I've been seeking to live that kind of life since I was 12 years old. And yet as I read today's scripture... And I don't know how many times I've read it, but it's a lot of times. As I read that scripture and reflect on it, I realize that far too often I've wanted Jesus' grace without taking the time and effort to dig down to the solid rock foundation that's necessary. And I am so grateful for all the second chances that Jesus has given me. I'm so grateful for the genuine forgiveness that Jesus died to give me. With each passing day, I'm more committed to live in the obedience to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way to be sure when, not if, but when the storms come to life that my house will stand. And you know what? It's the only way to be sure that your house is going to stand too. Because I have some news for you. A storm's coming. Maybe you're going through a storm right now. Maybe you've just been through a storm. If you haven't been through a storm and you aren't in a storm, one is coming. Isn't that good news? But that's the truth. Storms are going to come in this life. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. And that's a promise from Jesus, so it's true. We will have trouble in this life. It doesn't matter, but there, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what you and I have done to this point. It doesn't matter what kind of fruit we've produced to this point. It doesn't matter if our stuff, in saying to Jesus was Lord, Lord, and we didn't really mean it. It doesn't matter if our house has been on sand. But here's the thing that does matter. It's a key truth. Jesus gives us all the second chances we need in this life, but when this life ends, we're out of second chances. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just stating the truth. Now is the time to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord and to live with him as our firm foundation. If you're wondering why, you've never done that. Your house has been built on sand according to what Jesus said, and you're saying, well, why should I, why should I let Jesus be the one who tells me what to do with my life? It's a really good question. And, and the answer is found in the last two verses of Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read them right now. It says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching as one having authority and not as one of their scribes. Jesus' teaching astonished people. They had never heard anything like it. Like, we might have heard this hundreds of times. This was the first time they'd ever heard this before. And they knew what Jesus was. He was a carpenter. He was a traveling rabbi, but like, he didn't even go to the rabbinical training school. He, he had no training, and yet he stands up 
in front of all of them, and he says, you have heard that it was written. In other words, he's quoting scripture, and not just minor scripture, he's quoting the Ten Commandments. You've heard it was written, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, and then he changes it. Who can do that? Who can change the scripture? Only God. God's the only one who can. So what Jesus was saying is, I am God. That day on top of that mountain, Jesus was telling everybody, putting everybody on notice, hey, I'm God, and therefore, what I say is for your good. Because God is good, and God always is for our good. So, Jesus created us. Jesus knows what's best for us. And most importantly of all, he died for us. He paid the penalty for our sins so that we can actually have a new life. He rose again from the dead. You know, he lived the perfect life that he called us to live in Matthew 5, 48. Matthew 5, 48 says, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And his death on the cross paid our penalty. He rose from the dead to show the power that we can have, resurrection power in our lives. And then he sent the Holy Spirit. So that's why today's next step is, I will stand on the firm foundation of Jesus this week. I will stand on the firm foundation of Jesus this week. If I could grant you and me just one wish today, here it would be, to trust Jesus fully as Savior and Lord at this moment and every moment until we see him face to face. That's why he came. So we would trust him and live new lives in the Spirit's power. A few weeks ago, I said, Jesus didn't come to preach sermons. Jesus didn't come to give us commands and mandates. Jesus didn't come to show us how good he is and how bad we are. He didn't even come, if you were here a couple weeks ago, I had the suitcases. He didn't even come to fill our suitcases up. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came that we may have life, Zoe, God's life, now, and have it in abundance, now and forever. So how often, how often we let stuff, how often we let a desire for ease, the devil's lies, and the world's deceptions keep us from standing on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Imagine the difference in you, in me, in our families, in our workplaces, and eventually in our world, when we not only stand astonished by Jesus' teaching, but we actually implement that teaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. We let him be the firm foundation of our lives. How wise to hear Jesus' words it is, he said, and put them into practice. The impact of doing that, not just hearing his words, but putting, putting them into practice, stands through all the storms of life and promises us a life forever where there will never be another storm. Amen? Yesterday afternoon, I sat with a gentleman. He had called me and said, I have some bad news, and I, I need to talk to you about it. And so I went and visited him, and he went to the doctor, and the doctor told him he has three to four weeks to live. First of all, I don't know where a doctor gets off saying that, but a doctor has an idea of how long we're going to live because of past experience. And so this gentleman's had some issues, and obviously he's 87 years old. And, and so he proceeded for about an hour and a half to tell me about his life. And this life was filled with storms. I'm talking about major storms all his life. But every time he said, but you know what? Jesus always was with me. Jesus got me through that. The Holy Spirit empowered me. And, and as I was sitting there by his bed, he was lying in bed because he couldn't even sit up. I thought to myself, whoa, this guy's a winner. This guy knows where victory comes from. He knows that in three or four weeks, or plus or minus, he's not going to be here anymore. But he is going to be with Jesus forever. 
And, and that's what's, you know, it's sort of like the punchline, punchline, punchline of every message is we get to choose as long as we're breathing who's Lord in our life. After we're breathing, the choice is over. The choice we made stands for eternity. And as I sat there yesterday afternoon, I thought, well, I'm going to be preaching about this this weekend. And I have sort of like an exclamation point to the end of the message. We don't know. I mean, I don't know if Jesus is coming back today. I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow. But what I do know is the word of God is true. And everything that we've just shared is something that can make a difference now and forever. And so what I'm going to do right now, and I always stand up for this part, is I'm going to say something that is very true. The Christian life is simple, but it's not easy. It says easy and does hard, right? I mean, we read this stuff and go, oh, it doesn't sound, well, it sort of does a little hard. But it says a lot easier than it does. And if our house is built on sand, on what Jesus calls foolishness, and you realize in the Bible, there's only three kinds of people in the Bible. Some people th thought I was going to say two. No, there's three. The Bible says there are three kinds of people. There are wise people, there are foolish people, and there are evil people. Those are the three kinds of people. I haven't met very many evil people in my life. I've met some, not very many. But I've met a lot of foolish people, and I've been a foolish person at times. And the foolish person builds their house on sand. But here at New Life, we say every week, you know, it's simple as ABC to go from sand to rock. We don't always use that analogy, but it's really what we're saying. A, we admit we admit that our house is on sand. We admit that we don't have any foundation. We admit that our lives have been lived foolishly. That's the first thing we have to do. Because nobody changes until they realize we need a difference. And then B, we believe that Jesus wasn't just an astonishing, amazing teacher with a lot of authority. He's God. He's Lord, which means master, owner, and God. And he's Savior, which means he's already died and risen again to save us from sin and death. And then see, and sometimes, you know, whoever's standing up here says, we confess our sins, and that's okay to do. In fact, we have to. But what we really say, we confess Jesus as Lord. Who do we confess it to? To God first. God, we confess to you that we have a new owner. Not me, myself and I, but you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're now the leader of my life, the Lord of my life. And when we do that, what the Bible teaches is that our eternity changes in that instant. Now, the message that we heard today and last week and last week and last week says, but we can pretend that we did that and we didn't really do it. So we don't want to pretend when it comes to this. If you're ready to actually transfer ownership of your life, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. I'm going to pray as if I'm you. It's easy for me to do that because I know outside of the grace and blood of Jesus Christ, I stand condemned before God. And I'm grateful to have already prayed this prayer, but I'll pray with you and you can pray with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, thank you so much for creating the universe and all that exists. Thank you for creating us. God, I admit to you right now that I'm a sinner. I admit that my life has not been wise. God, I, I, I believe that Jesus, your son, is who he said he is. He's your son. He's God. He is the I am. He is Lord, which means master, owner, God in my life right now, and Savior, which means rescuer from sin and death. And God, I also confess to you, I'm confessing all this to you first. You're now God in my life. And I ask you, God, to give me the courage to, to tell other people 
and not to just tell other people, but by the power of your Holy Spirit to live a different life, a life with the solid rock foundation of Jesus underneath me. And God, I pray for all of us who have prayed a prayer like that sometime in our life, that right now you would give us a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, a fresh dose of commitment to you, God, so that we would hear your voice and do your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.